Welcome to the Psychotherapy Central podcast where we discuss love, attachment and healing from trauma. A place where you can gain the knowledge, tools and wisdom to help you build secure, flourishing relationships. I'm your host, clinical psychotherapist and couples therapist, Jennifer Nurek. Welcome to the Psychotherapy Central podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Nurek, and today I'm going to be speaking about something I am incredibly passionate about, and that is attachment theory and specifically avoidant attachment. I've had the privilege of working with a lot of people with this attachment style, so I'll be sharing some of my experiences of their inner landscape to help you better understand their experiences or your experiences if you feel that you might be more avoidant in the way that you relate. So when you think of avoidant tendencies, most people are either, they either feel a lot of repulsion towards avoidant people, often because they've been hurt in those relationships, or they can feel a lot of compassion and sometimes a bit of both. And all of these responses make sense because repulsion would be a way to keep you safe and not being hurt again. And compassion might also make sense because of the amount of distance that avoidant people like to have in a relationship usually comes from experiences where relationships haven't been safe or where their needs have really not been met in a big way. So attachment theory is developmental. So let's have a little bit of a look at how it develops. And and as we do that, I would love to frame this not as a critique of how we were parented, but more of a These are some of the patterns that researchers like John Bowlby, Mary Ainsworth and others discovered as they started to look at patterns of relationship and relating in children. And later researchers found that those same categories would carry over into adult relationships. So as we look at some of the roots of this way of relating, I would love for us all to hold in mind um, some of the history that goes towards creating the wiring for this way of being relationally. So attachment behaviors, if you think of yourself as a child, and I'm going to speak through most of um, of this piece, directly to people who think, you know, I've read a few things and I feel like I might be avoidant. So I'm going to speak directly to you. Think that, think of the brain when you're a baby and an infant and a child and a toddler as being wired for a relationship. And we're reaching towards our primary caregiver, whoever that might have been, to literally keep us alive, right? When we're a baby, when we're a toddler, if our parent locks us in a room and doesn't feed us, we will literally die. So there can be, and a lot of anxious style people often find this, kind of a life or death feeling around the desire and need to be connected. And so when we're looking at more the avoidance style, 
that we they those people have you <laughs> have learned that when I reach out, my needs are not met. And so over time I've learned to to stop reaching out, which kind of makes my high ache a little bit. So when we're younger, our brains are literally being wired for connection. And when our caregiver is maybe emotionally unavailable, maybe they have um, depression or some other mental, other mental health issues that they're struggling with. Maybe our caregiver is really unresponsive or just literally not available. Maybe um, you have a, a single mother or father and they're literally working three jobs just to keep you fed with a roof over your head. And so they're literally not there. There's lots of different reasons why there can be elements of what might be neglect or what might be, um, but, but the essence of it is that our, our needs as a child don't get met. And so when our needs as a child are not met, you really have two choices. One is to chase the caregiver, to make more noise, to, um, to move closer, okay? And that's the strategy that most people with the anxious adaptation will use with the anxious attachment pattern. The other choice is, and, and I, I use the word choice very loosely here because it's not really, a two-year-old can't really decide, oh, I'll make this choice. It's more of a, um, it's more of a finding out what works. So if sometimes my needs are met and sometimes they're not, then it's worth pursuing my carer. But if uh, a certain amount of time is not met, not met, not responded, not responded, then eventually the child will give up, right, and move away. So usually most children will choose the first option, but again, if that just fails over and over, then they'll give up, they'll move away, and they'll start to become more kind of self-reliant, yeah. So it is a, these are natural adaptations, right? They're natural adaptations to a particular environment that we're in. And it might have also been a very stressful environment for your caregivers. It could be that you were in a, um, in a certain um, social and socioeconomic stress that causes a lot of pressure for your parents. You could be in a war zone. There could be a real scarcity of food. Yeah, there could be a lot of danger around. And so remembering that as well. So what happens in when we have the avoidant adaptation is that our desire to seek comfort in the carer, even if we're hurt, even if we're ill, can become repressed. And other people might say about this child, oh, they're old before their time, they're so mature, they're so well behaved, right? Very common comments. I would also like to add that avoidant people can be any gender, any gender orientation, that this is an adaptation, right? It's not something that you're born with. Now, Mostly we think of avoidant people as being male. 
And there is some level of truth to this. So Sue Johnson, um, the founder and creator of EFT, Emotionally Focused Therapy for Couples, found that in the avoidant, anxious dynamic, that in that dynamic, the male is the avoidant partner in about 80% of relationships. So it's quite noticeable. So let's look at how avoidance can show up in relationship. So you might find that you have this really strong need to feel independent. And that can feel kind of life-threatening, life or death, because you're so used to relying on yourself and haven't been able to consistently rely on other people that if that is kind of taken away from you or you're faced with having to rely on other people, it can feel like I absolutely just can't do it. Right? And that can stretch into asking for help, asking for support. Now, the problem with this is that when we struggle, when we, ha when we have to remain independent, we can inadvertently recreate the level of intimacy that we had during our childhood. The second thing I'd love you to know about avoid the avoidant adaptation is that avoidant people often find emotions uncomfortable. So there's often a, a large part of self that's really, really wants to connect, okay? But when you tune into yourself, those emotions feel blocked or there'll be a, a flash of an emotion and you might feel, like, oh, there's an emotion, okay. And then before you can have a moment longer with it, it's gone. So a lot of avoidant people feel this. I see a lot of this in my practice. And what's happening there in the inner system is that there's this really big blocking part that is actually a protective part that says, oh, we're feeling this emotion. We haven't been taught how to deal with emotions. Maybe we've grown up in a house where, with other with avoidant parents and there's the, emotional the, 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 the amount of emotion in the house is like a one out of a hundred or one percent. And so when this emotion comes up in me, or maybe there's been lots of emotion in the home that's felt very unsafe and so I've repressed it inside of me, and there's been no space for my emotions, there's been no one available to hold my emotions, right? Then it can be very common that there's this very big part that reacts and says, oh my goodness, we're having this huge emotion. Quick, quick, alarm bells. And suddenly this blocking part will move in to push it down. Yeah, and that can help to keep the system safe because we don't know how to deal with this big, scary emotion. I see that a lot in therapy and that's where one-on-one -on -one therapy can be really helpful if you're working with the avoidant pattern. We can create space in one-on-one -on -one therapeutic relationship where we can really make space for that emotion. We can really hold it, help you identify it, be there with it, feel it somatically through the body, um, as well as process through any deep traumas that might have had to be hidden away in a box, yeah, which is why I have trauma in part of the tagline of, of this show, because trauma features in attachment wounding. Okay, number three. Oh, I did want you to know that in conflict, avoidant people get just as activated 
as anxious people, which seems crazy if you've ever been in that anxious avoidant dynamic, which I have, and my tendency is towards anxious. And the avoidant partner can feel like, well, what's happening? I can't, I can't feel you. Where have you gone? Are you in this conversation with me? What's happened? Now, biologically, and they know this through some of the research, some of the research of the Gottmans, John and Julie Gottman, amazing therapists, they put some um, measurement, uh, some, some sensors on people when they were in conflict, and they found, which is uh, so interesting, that actually avoidant people are as activated as their anxious partners, but their exterior appears more calm and distance. And often they've gone off to their island. Okay, so I often think of the avoidance on their island, their safe place, and the anxious people are on their speedboat using up a lot of energy trying to get to them. Okay, that's often a very common dynamic in relationships that I'll talk about in later sessions. So when the avoidant person feels unsafe, when you feel unsafe, the natural response, and this isn't really um, a cognitive process usually, it's normally a kind of a gut reaction, I need to create distance. I don't feel safe. The nervous system registers lack of safety and it could have been any trigger. It could be something quite mundane that suddenly made you feel unsafe and I need to get distance. Okay, and so it's often not in kind of a full awareness. It's often not punitive to your partner. Often the last thing you want to do is hurt your partner. But there is just this very strong part of you that comes up and runs off to your island. Now, the fourth thing that I wanted to talk about is that sometimes uh, as a sort of a a self-protective mechanism as the avoidant partner, sometimes you can get very involved in in a career. You might be very, very successful. You might get very involved in a sport. Something that takes up a lot of time and energy as a way to ensure that there is a level of distance in your intimate relationship that feels comfortable to you. And that's also where we might, where you might do things Again, not meaning to create distance, but that do create distance so that you're back to your safe relational distance. And the difference between an avoidant person and an anxious style is that the avoidant partner prefers this much distance and the anxious partner prefers this much distance. And in a relatively secure partnership, there'll be something like this as the comfortable distance. And so in all relationships, because usually one partner will like more closeness than the other, there's often this kind of dance of, okay, where is our comfortable distance? And you'll notice having, if you've been in a relationship for any extended period of time, that there is a natural flow of more together, further apart, more together, further apart. And it can be very painful if one person really wants to be like that and is quite fixed like that, and the other person's normal is really quite close. And that's often when people will come into couple therapy saying, Jen, I really want him to be closer. And so often the avoidant partner is also saying, Jen, I really want to be closer, but I don't know how to do it. Please help me with that. 
It's actually some of the work that I love to do. And the last thing that I really wanted to um, leave you with is an invitation. And this is more for the partners of avoidance who are listening to this. Something I found helpful with my own partner, my own husband, was the ability to have what I call a dual focus. And that's where you can see their grown-up adult body that might be um, very together and seeming quite cool, calm and collected in the face of your upset or this conflict. But knowing that inside that there are much younger parts who might really struggle to connect with emotion, to connect with their own emotionality. And I found for myself that having that dual awareness, when I would see my partner go to their island, that I wouldn't jump on my speedboat too quickly, knowing that, and, and not to take it too personally, I found it easier to watch them go to their island knowing that some of their that they had essentially time traveled and some of their younger parts had been activated and that they are needing some care and that their gut reaction is i need to go to my island and we can of course have some um, structure around what going to that island looks like and we'll talk about that in other episodes so the work of the um, avoidant for you is number one, starting to connect with your own emotions, starting to identify the subtleties. And the Gottman feeling wheel, I think it's called the Gottman feeling wheel, can be really helpful for that. And the ultimate work is forming what I call an internal secure attachment. And when we have that internal secure attachment, I'm there caring for my younger parts. I'm in touch with my emotionality. I feel safe to have um, contact with my really deep core feelings and know that I'll be safe in that. And when that internal secure attachment is in place, a lot of things change in your external relationship. So I teach you how in my... Um, flagship program, Relationship Cycle Breaker. Um, you can read more about that on my website, um, which is psychotherapycentral.health. So I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope that um, there have been a few gems there for you. In the next episode, I'll be explaining anxious attachment and sharing some of my own experiences with that style of protection and of relating. So if you like what you've heard here today, please like, subscribe and share. It really helps to grow the channel. The show notes for today will be available on the website, psychotherapycentral.health. We'll you also find my free course on breaking relationship cycles. So thank you for being here and I hope you have a really wonderful day. Thank you for joining me on this episode. If you want to learn more about all things love, attachment and trauma, I'd love to connect with you on Instagram at psychotherapy.central or visit my website at psychotherapycentral.health. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review and a five-star rating. Your support means a lot and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.